Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. In 1 Samuel 11, just take a peek with me at verse 5. 1 Samuel 11, verse 5. We'll look ahead for a second. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. First uh, Samuel 11, verse 5. And he said, What is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh, a threat from Nahash the Ammonite against the men of Jabesh is the context. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words and he became, what's your Bible say? When's the last time you connected anger with the Spirit coming upon you? Hmm, that's different. But this was a godly anger. This was an anger of The people of God are being threatened and God is empowering now his servant to do his will. Now many of you know, if you're thinking ahead, 1 Samuel 16, something radical happens to Saul. The Holy Spirit leaves him. And when people read that and they read David pray, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, O Lord, right? We get concerned. We say, well, does that mean that in the new covenant it's possible that the Holy Spirit departs from people? I sure hope not. That's not my understanding of Scripture. That's not my understanding of the Bible. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But even as a New Testament Christian, the power of the Holy Spirit is not automatic in my life. It's just not. The Holy Spirit fills me, but I have a part to play. If you want to picture the, the power of the Spirit as an ocean where you've got to come with your cup or a faucet where you've got to put your mouth under it, whatever image you want to grab a hold of, you have to do something. And for us, it's not a water cup. It's not, okay, Lord, fill my cup. That's a good image. And sometimes, you know, we see the cup is half empty. And we, we all know that, right? But the Lord wants your cup filled. But the way your cup gets filled spiritually has nothing to do with those analogies. What it really has to do is with what you're doing right now. This is how you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You involve yourself with things that He fills. Worship. The Word is already breathed out by God. It is the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God. And so whenever you begin to partake of things that have to do with the Spirit of the living God, you're listening to preaching, you are serving the Lord in some capacity, He meets us there every single time. All you have to do is be open and ask Him, and He'll certainly provide what you need. He will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. It's pictured in the anointing oil, it's pictured in rushing water. These are images of the Holy Spirit. They're images of power that come from God to us. Isn't it cool that God doesn't ask you to do His work all by yourself? I know there's a debate in the Christian church about you know, the gifts of the Spirit and whether or not the sign gifts are in activation today. I'll tell you this. If you try to do the work of God without the Spirit of God, you're in deep trouble. However you want to, wherever you land on the spectrum of you know, whether you're a cessationist and those are people who believe the sign gifts ceased at the closing of the apostolic age and the 
completion of the canon of Scripture about the end of the first century. And there are other people who say they still continue today. And the churches were very famous for extremes, aren't we? We go to one extreme or the other. Instead of saying, look, the Lord works, but He works decently and in order, right? People want to attach things to ecstatic experiences, uh, Paul says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, Prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That's the purpose of the gift. We're going to see that Saul is going to prophesy in this chapter. What does that mean? What exactly was Saul doing? We'll dig that out in a second. We'll talk about that. But right now, as we listen to the Word of God, prophecy is going forth. Because I'm speaking forth the Word of God. And sometimes when I'm preaching a message, God gives me supernatural insight as I become a funnel, if you will, and not just me, but anybody who wants to be in service of the King can become a funnel. And they can get some supernatural insight. And sometimes it's just something that's not even in the notes or something, you know, that you just said on the fly. And somebody goes, how did you know? And I usually say, that's because we have people following you everywhere. We have hidden cameras. No. The Lord just speaks through his word. And he speaks through his servants. Now, we have to remember when we talk about spiritual gifts, which are special God-given things, gifts that are bestowed by the Holy Spirit. They come upon Christians for the purpose of building up the church. Spiritual gifts are not an end in and of themselves, but they serve a purpose in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts, if you're a note-taker tonight, and there's a class coming up starting Sunday on these, spiritual gifts are divine enablements for ministry. Characteristics of Jesus Christ that are to be manifested through the body uh, corporate, just as they were manifested through the body incarnate or Jesus. Spiritual gifts cannot be separated from a spiritual life. They are in spiritual people submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ who want to live for the glory of the Lord. They are divine enablements. If you want to just break down spiritual gifts, that's simply what they are. They give you the ability to do more than you could have done before you had them. Have you experienced that? I hope so. Gifts are given by God to the agent, a person, to do things that you couldn't do before you had them. And they are evidences, of course, of the working of the Lord in your life. Now, after the anointing, this is uh, 1 Samuel 10, verse 2. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we will move more quickly now. When you go from me today, this is Samuel talking to Saul, then you will find, now he's going to begin to prophesy. You'll find two men close to Rachel's tomb, which is near the area of Bethlehem, in the territory of Benjamin, that was the tribe of Saul, and Zelza, or Zelsa, it appears only here in the Bible. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and he's anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my sons? Now, about my son. Now, Samuel is about to give three signs. Maybe this, this is a way of confirming 
that he is a true prophet and he has given Saul the true word of God. So he's going to predict some things about what's going to happen. But I want you to notice that these men, these two men, will be close to Rachel's tomb. If you were with us on Christmas Eve, I did a little study about the Tower of the Flock prophecy. And I talked about the location of Rachel's tomb and the significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem and how when Rachel was dying, her spirit was departing, she gave gave birth to a son and ultimately his name would be called Benjamin, son of my right hand. Do you remember that? Shake your heads like you do. Remember everything I've ever preached, right? But the significance is this, that there's a tie. Remember, 1 Samuel is about what? Leadership. The ultimate leader, the ultimate king is coming. And I don't think there's any accident about this geography, that this is tied to looking ahead as well. These men are going to meet you near Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, right around the area of Bethlehem. As I went through these points... I said to you guys at Christmas time, those of you who are here, that this town of Bethlehem gives us four reminders. Jesus came to save you from death, Genesis 35 when Rachel's dying. He came to buy you back as a redeemer, that's Bethlehem in the book of Ruth. He came to be your leader, that speaks of David being anointed in this area. And he came that you would be fruitful, it's called, also called the area of Ephratha, which means fruitful. He goes on, then you will go on further from there, all prophecy foretelling now, you will come as far as the oak or the terebinth tree of Tabor. And there, three men going up to God at Bethel, Bethel means the house of God, will meet you. Now these are pretty specific things, aren't they? Uh, Sam is beginning to tell him, this is what's ahead, this is what you can look for. These three guys will meet you, one carrying three kids or goats, another carrying three loaves of bread. Isn't this interesting? And another will be carrying a jug of wine. Jesus, in Leviticus 16, we have the image of the scapegoat. When Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, they, after he preached in the synagogue, uh, they loved him for a moment. He's like a baseball player. You hit a home run, everybody loves you. And then they were ready to kill him. And they took him to the brow of a hill in his own hometown and they were going to throw him off the brow of the hill. And Jesus was able to just escape or pass by. Well, we're told in Hebrew tradition that the scapegoat they would they would pray over the uh, they'd pray over the scapegoat they'd pray uh, the sins of the people, transferring them in a symbolic way to the scapegoat, and they'd release the goat into the wilderness, and the other goat would be slaughtered for the nation. But they found that something started happening with the scapegoat. He started coming back, just like your lost dog or cat. Anybody try to lose a cat and they keep coming home? (laughs) Anyway, I said cat, not dog. Anyway, so symbolically the scapegoat was coming back with all the people's sins. No! So precautions were taken. They would take the scapegoat to the brow of a hill and they would throw him over to make sure he didn't come back. And they took Jesus, the scapegoat, the the fulfillment of the imagery of Leviticus 16, and they tried to throw him off the brow of a hill in fulfillment, really, of the imagery of the Old Testament. It wasn't his time to die. He wasn't going to die in that way. Notice that there's a sacrifice, three, interesting, three kids, 
there's bread and wine. Hmm. Hmm. Because, you know, nothing in the Bible is there by accident. And remember, the ultimate leader, uh, Pastor Chris said last time when he taught that Jesus Christ is all through these stories. And we begin to see how this plays out. These little reminders, these little suggestions of Jesus all there. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. This is not, by the way, somebody saying, hey, here you can have my sandwich. This was, this was for religious purposes. These people were going up to God, the high place at Bethel, the house of God, which ties to Genesis 35. Uh, this is where Jacob wrestled with God, and this is the chapter where Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And God says to Saul, through Samuel, Israel is my heritage. And so all of this, I think, is tied together. These men were going up, and now, instead of giving these as a sacrifice, if you will, they give them to Saul, a gift to the king, if you will. This is, this is all uh, tying together to both God's working and Saul being recognized. They're going to greet you. They're going to give you a, a gift, if you will, the gift of God, the bread of God, if you will, which you will accept from their hand. Bread is lachem in Hebrew. Uh, it it, it is, uh, literally means into the heat. And little did Saul know that he was about to enter <laughs> into the fire in a big, big way. These would be strangers to him, but they would have these things and they would pass along the bread. God is working at every level. Uh, Saul was out of bread according to uh, 9-7. He said, we can't go see the prophet. We don't have any bread. We can't, we have nothing to give him. God not only gives them something that has spiritual meaning, but he fills a practical need as well. They've been traveling around, they were out of bread, and God provided bread for Saul. God works on all levels. He can meet practical needs, he can meet spiritual needs, he can speak to your life wherever you are, uh, whenever something is happening. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God. Gibeah of God, the NIV says, Gibeah Elohim is the ESV. Where the Philistine garrison is, that's plural, there was a, some sort of stronghold of the Philistines right where Saul lived. And it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, drums, just kidding, and a lyre before them. And they will be prophesying. Now, he's, get, he's got three signs. And the last one is, you're going to be going, and this group of prophets, I don't know how many there were, but there's going to be a group of prophets, and they're going to be rocking and, and playing worship, apparently. And here's what's going to happen. They're coming down from the high place, tambourine, flute, lyre in their hand, and they will be prophesying. What is prophecy? It is foretelling the word of God, foretelling the word of God, speaking even the praises of Almighty God, and it can even be speaking the praises of God to music. Do you know, in one sense, the favorite worship song that you have is a prayer. Whenever you sing, you're singing prayers to God. I don't know if you realize that. When you say, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, you know, put me into the refiner's fire. Those are prayers. Just because there's music behind them doesn't mean they don't count. What? Yes. 
You might want to rethink singing them. Unless you're in full agreement with the lyrics. Because they still count as prayers. But some of them are prophecy. They're speaking of the glory and grandeur of God. Some of the most amazing songs for me are when they focus on God's glory. That's when I, man, I, I just feel like I could be lifted up to heaven right there. Now, they'll be prophesying. It won't be hard to notice these guys. <laughs> they'll be a traveling band prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord, 6, will come upon you mightily. And you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Now this is what this has all been leading up to. Saul, I've anointed you with the symbol of the Holy Spirit, with God's power. You've been set apart. You've been anointed for sacred purposes. But that's not the end of the story. The oil is just simply a foretaste. What's coming is the power of Almighty God to give you what you need to lead His heritage. You, Saul, are going to experience the power of the Lord. He's going to come upon you mightily. And you, one expression of God coming upon him mightily will be that he prophesies. I don't know what exactly happened here, but it's tied to that group of prophets. I don't know if Saul just jumped in. Uh, I found it very strange, first coming into the Christian church, singing, very strange. Uh, I know some of you still to this day find it very strange. Or at least the person next to you you find very strange. Some of you, you ha- you're not quite there yet. Kind of like this. Some of you intentionally show up late. We know who you are. <laughs> Why? Now look, I know there's a transition time that happens. I never in my previous pre-Christian life ever got together with my friends and said, hey guys, do you know this one? (laughs) And started singing. Now some of you did that. You had your college songs or maybe you were by a campfire and you sang. I did not do that unless it was a song on the radio, rock and roll, then maybe. And usually the music had to be loud to drown out my voice. Here's the thing. The meaning... uh, of God coming upon you mightily speaks of an explosive surge of strength. Change into another man, the meaning is not primarily in Hebrew about losing oneself, but about being equipped with God's power to play a new role. I just want to repeat these two definitions. God coming upon you mightily speaks of an explosive surge of strength Being changed into another man is not about losing yourself, but about being equipped with God's power to play a new role. That is what the power of God is about. God changes us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are a new, what? Creation in Christ. All things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. You, in Christ, are new. You're a new creation, made or remade for a new purpose, 
things that you didn't care about before, things that you didn't even think about before, priorities that you had no interest in before, now have become your life. People that you thought strange before. You didn't get what they did. You didn't understand why they preached or sang or did anything. Now, a new surge of explosive strength has come to you from God and He's changed your heart. What God always does is works from the inside out. He starts at the heart and changes you from the inside out. We're so interested about the outside, right? I heard Alistair Begg say one time that we, we take such good care of the outside. I got to make sure I want to do that and this and this. Make sure, right? But what matters more is the stuff that's on the inside. Amen? Because something breaks down on the inside, you're in deep trouble. You lose a little hair on the outside, you can go on. Right? Wrinkles shows up there. I know, it's painful. But you can go on. Problem on the inside, not so good. You see, in the kingdom of God, this is how God works. He works on the inside. He changes us, and it shall be when these signs come to you. This has all been prophesied. Do for yourself what the occasion requires. Here's the key. For God is with you. ESV. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I was reading one commentary He said, the idiom, do what your hands find to do, is found in Judges 9.33, where the context makes it clear that it refers to a military action against an enemy. Now, here's where it comes together, and we're going to uh, try to tie this together. I read you all those verses in Judges that the Holy Spirit was coming upon people for what? To prepare them for something that was bigger than themselves and primarily for a war situation. This particular commentator, and you can chew on this one, says he believes that what God was saying to Saul, do what seems right to you or what your hand finds to do is I want you to deal with the enemy right now, the Philistines who have a stronghold right where you live. And I'm going to give you the power and your first act as the king It's to destroy the enemy. If you look back in 1 Samuel 9.16, you'll see this is what God said. I'm going to anoint him prince over my people, Israel, and he, so he gets anointed, which happens in 10.1. Tie this now together. 9.16 says, I'll anoint him as prince over my people, Israel, and he'll deliver my people from who? The hand of the Philistines. And so the anointing and the deliverance This particular author, and you can take this for what you will, thinks that Saul's should have figured out right now, okay, I've got the power, I'm the king, the Philistines have got a stronghold right where I live, it's time to bring deliverance. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, this is verse 8, chapter 11. Behold, I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. These are celebratory offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Some people tie this to chapter 13 and Saul's failure to wait for Samuel. I don't think it's the same occasion, but that is a possible link. Then it happened, verse 9. Right after the prophecy, all this has been a face-to-face prophecy after the anointing. When he turned back, he turned his back to leave Samuel. So Samuel's told him all this stuff. Okay, man, it had to be a lot to take in. All right, this is what's going to happen now. 
As soon as he, it happened, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God, bam, what did he do? He changed his heart. God, ESV, gave him another heart. And all those, that is the signs, the three signs that we just studied, all those signs came about on that day. So it came about just as he, you know, swings around that God changes his heart. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a new book that has just come out that I've written. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, A Revealing Look at God's Armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. One of the things that the armor of God speaks of is protection. And God has provided you armor to protect you against the typical ways that the enemy attacks. You have a belt of truth because the enemy is a liar. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. He's the God of truth. He's righteous. He's the God of peace. All the pieces of the armor point to him. And they point to his provision to you, the believer, because he loves you. The reason God wants to protect you is because he's your father. He knows about the spiritual battle. He knows about the enemy. And he knows how you can be best protected and stand strong against temptation. Suit up, putting on the full armor of God. It's now available on Amazon. I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, and to experience more victory in your Christian life. Right now you can get it on Amazon. It's Suit Up by Pastor Michael Lance. I would urge you to get the book today. If you want to give a donation directly to Living Truth Radio, send us an email and we'll get the book into your hands as our gift to you for a donation to the radio ministry. LivingTruthRadio.org is the radio website. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you.